Moss knocked over Campbellini, winds up and he scores! Jeff Campbellini lets a laser go from the near side circle, and the Wolverines take a 1-0 lead off the rocket, off the stick of Jeff Campbellini. And welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And the big OSU Michigan game this weekend, yeehaw. <laughs> At the risk of uh, revealing my ignorance, is it here or there? It's here. Okay, well, good for local merchants. Yep, banged up uh, Michigan team. Pretty good Ohio State team that quite frankly lost that game on a questionable call that wasn't reviewed, but... That's football. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. They got def- upset last week, but uh, irrespective, uh, it looks like Michigan will be still going to a pretty good ball game because they're sort of guaranteed a second-place finish regardless of what happens. Obviously, their two big players, quarterback Henny and tailback Harder, banged up, so... I think they need Henny more than Hart. That's pretty obvious from Ryan Mallett's uh, sort of greenhornness. He's uh, he's a player with a lot of talent, but he's uh, got to work on some fundamentals. Anyway, go blue. <laughs> and we'll see if we can finally beat Ohio State. They've had our number recently. I think they've won four out of five. So we'll see what happens. Those are minor problems, of course, too. <laughs> First world problems. First world us. problems. We've got oil tankers breaking apart in the Black Sea. Boats crashing into the <laughs> into bridges in San Francisco. Widespread unruliness throughout uh, various parts of Pakistan. Yeah, Pakistan looks like a cauldron of discontent. And uh, I don't know that Musharraf is really going to outlast this. One of the things I wanted to... Uh, maybe start the show off on. I'm not an expert on the Rosenberg case, but it's a very interesting turn of events in the Soviet 
old Soviet Union in the last couple of weeks. On the uh, 1st of uh, November, the uh, Russian, uh, you know, Foreign Intelligence Services announced the death of Colonel Alexander Feklasov. And he's an important figure in both the history of the Rosenberg and the Hiss case. Uh, he was essentially a KGB agent that uh, worked with Julius Rosenberg. And he's been fairly uh, adamant uh, since the files, so to speak, have opened up that Ethel Rosenberg had nothing to do with atomic espionage. And indeed, that uh, pretty much is the historical consensus at this point. She was put to death along with her husband back, I think, in 53. And the... Uh, Based on testimony from her brother. Yeah, that's the thing that's amazing. He was actually more involved in espionage David than either... David Greenglass. Yeah, either one of them. So it's a fascinating drama. I mean, I, th I think an incredible uh, movie could be made out of this whole case. Uh, David Greenglass... Um, was definitely more involved in the actual espionage than either one of the Rosenbergs, uh, and that's been pretty well established. By the way, he got 30 years, but was one of those classic ex-communists who testified. And, of course, they were given carte blanche. The encouragement to turn on uh, the Reds um, was valued at such a high stake. Yeah, and I'm more of an expert on the Hiss case than the uh, Rosenberg case, but it's fascinating that uh, in today's New York Times, there's been a revelation that on the 2nd of November, in other words, literally days after Feklasov died, um, the Kremlin, and I'm calling it the Kremlin because as uh, Maureen Dowd likes to point out, Putin has put the Rasputin back in Putin. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> anyway, Putin apparently has awarded a uh, posthumous medal to a big-time atomic spy named George Koval. Might be Koval. Anyway, he was born in Iowa and uh, moved to the Soviet Union. It's kind of interesting. His family moved to the Soviet Union in the 30s, and then he, he was recruited back by the... Uh, GRU, which was basically the military intelligence wing of the uh, Soviet uh, espionage apparatus. There's a distinction between the KGB, which is where Feklasov worked, and uh, he apparently directly handled uh, Julius Rosenberg to the extent that he was involved in passing secrets. There's always been a bit of a mystery. There's, there's always been this Historians have gone back and investigated the atomic espionage case. Always said there had to have been some other high-level spy uh, that was uh, sending secrets. There was also an American communist named Ted Hall, Theodore Hall, who uh, gave far more uh, information to the Soviets than uh, either Greenglass or the Rosenberg. Greenglass sort of gave information about switches. Mm -hmm. He wasn't a real expert on the Manhattan Project. But it turns out that Koval, uh, George Koval, was, uh, and he's been awarded a um, Medal of Honor, whatever they call it in the uh, in the in Russia. They have a picture of Putin toasting uh, various military officials, and this occurred literally days after Feklasov died. So I think these events are very connected. And uh, what I find fascinating about the article uh, in today's uh, New York Times, William Broad, by William J. Broad is this paragraph here. 
He writes, since then, historian, scientists, federal officials, and old friends have raced to tell Dr. Caval's story, the athlete, the guy everyone liked, the genius at technical studies. This is the key phrase. American intelligence agencies have known of his betrayal at least since the early 1950s when investigators interviewed his fellow scientists and swore them to secrecy. So what is fascinating about this case is it continues to show once again that J. Edgar Hoover was using communist espionage cases in the late 40s and early 50s for propaganda purposes more than busting real spies. There's a variety of cases, the Amerasia case, the uh, Judith Copeland case, the Hiss case, and various cases in which you can contrast how the FBI handled these espionage cases or these so-called communists in our midst cases. And there's a very clear analogy to the terrorism Mm -hmm. bugaboo. Terrorism and communism, you need to think of these things almost as interchangeable isms in which there's propaganda really being used by the by the federal government to perpetuate myths, uh, create fear, <laughs> create disorder, and there's a, obviously a secret agenda involved. In the case of J. Edgar Hoover, of course, he was a propagandist uh, specialist, and it's quite clear that uh, he was feeding information to HUAC. Uh, this is, of course, how Richard Nixon developed his career, the, the Hiss case. power through that. So it's just another fascinating example of an actual top-level spy. Um, He, of course, had actually left uh, America after the Second World War and returned to the Soviet Union, so he was a well-placed plant, uh, so to speak. But uh, along with Ted Hall and Klaus Fuchs, uh, the East German uh, nuclear scientist who uh, eventually pled guilty as part of the... um, investigation into communists uh, that had penetrated both the Manhattan Project and uh, the so-called federal government. You know, you have the uh, Hiss case uh, and various other cases that continue to interest historians, but uh, I think it's important to remember. uh, Of course, the Hiss case came back into uh, significance recently because of the so-called Venona documents, and it's interesting that the current historical archivist of the National uh, Archives uh, gained his expertise writing a book on the Hiss case, Alan Weinstein. He's in charge of determining what documents are released to the public from these presidential libraries and whatnot. So it's a very fascinating interconnection uh, that's, that's continued to weave a web of intrigue, mystery, and... Propaganda. Well, one of the, you know, more strange uh, aspects of the Manhattan Project that's always kind of troubled me, and I'm sure there are all sorts of ideological responses for it. But why representatives of other allies were not invo- involved from the beginning, invited mm-hmm. and involved, really demonstrates to me that the Manhattan Project, although ostensibly begun as a response to uh, Nazi science attempts to develop a super bomb. But it, it su- seems to suggest that the idea all along was that it might not be ready in time for this war, but that we'd be well positioned against the Soviets. That it was never really that the dropping of the atom bomb on Japan. In fact, if you look at all the communiques that are going back and forth, Japan had been trying for about a week and a half at that point to surrender. 
uh, the rush to drop the bomb seems to have more to do with scaring the Soviet Union than it did with ending the war with Japan. Yeah, and that's a continued uh, uh, historical debate as well, because quite clearly um, the timing of the dropping of the atomic bomb has always been important. At Yalta, Stalin had agreed um, in principle to start a second front against Japan three months after VE Day. VE Day was the 8th of May. Mm-hmm. We dropped the bomb on the 6th of August. Indeed, Stalin did declare war on Japan uh, between the dropping of Hiroshima on the 6th and the 9th, did invade parts of Japan. And Stalin's interest, of course, uh, was uh, reacquiring, shall we say, Soviet uh, possessions, at the time they were called the Soviet Union, uh, Soviet land possessions that Japan had taken in the... uh, Sakhalin Islands. The 1905... uh, Japanese uh, Russo-Japanese War. Ironically, Theodore Roosevelt won a Nobel Peace Prize for uh, resolving inter- that matter. Yeah, acting as an intermediary in that conflict. So it's a very interesting chronology of events. And of course, Klaus Fuchs, uh, his importance was that he he was an East he was a German uh, communist who opposed the Nazis. And he w- got into the Manhattan Project through Britain. Mm-hmm. In other words, it was a... The Brits were involved, but not completely involved right. in the Manhattan Project. But uh, America simply needed uh, the atomic physicists and experts, many of, them, many of whom were German. Indeed. Indeed, the whole sort of germ for the concept of the atomic bomb um, goes back to Niles Bohr and, and Einstein right. actually talking to FDR about it and noting that the uh, Germans were working on uh, their their own project. So initially, of course, there was a uh, a focus on, on beating the Nazis, right. but uh, as it turned out, um, we didn't even test successfully the atomic bomb until after the Nazis had surrendered. So it's a, 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 a very interesting story, um, something that... Uh, well, the past never stays buried. I mean, these things continue to emerge and uh, reveal interesting connections. Yeah, and it's uh, interesting because many historians and even the media have, for instance, pronounced his guilty... Uh, I'm more interested in the Hiss case than the Rosenberg case simply because the the Hiss case made Nixon's career right. and was used as a propaganda um, element in the uh, so-called Red Scare of the late 40s and 50s that uh, led to all sorts of problems here in America, including the the blacklisting of Hollywood people. Ronald Reagan, ironically, makes an appearance as his own uh, stool pigeon. <laughs> For the FBI at the HUAC hearings. Best part ever. Best part ever. Um, And uh, there's actually some evidence that he may have testified to HUAC inaccurately about certain events to be continued at a later date. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Roosevelt. Interesting uh, and not terribly newsworthy, but appropriately bizarre enough to be worth mentioning. The question continues, Joe Lieberman, insane or merely stupid? Uh, some comments that he's made recently about Roosevelt and the Democrats of today are uh, quite interesting here. Um, 
Let's see here. Speaking, um, the article here from the Financial Times by Edward Luce, 2008 Democratic candidates are beholden to a, quote, hyperpartisan, politically paranoid liberal base that could endanger the final nominee's chances of winning next year's presidential election, Joe Lieberman said yesterday. He argued, the article continues, that George W. Bush and the Republican presidential candidates remained truer than the Democratic Party to its tradition of, quote, a moral, internationalist, liberal, and hawkish foreign policy that was established by Presidents Franklin Roosevelt, Harry Truman, and John Kennedy. And here's Lieberman's quote, The Democrat Party I grew up in was afraid to make moral judgments, was unafraid to make moral judgments about the world beyond our borders. Today's Democrats are inclined to see international problems as a result of America's engagement with the world and are viscerally opposed to the use of force. The polar opposite to the self-confident and idealistic nationalism of the party I grew up in. (laughs) This doesn't really make sense. I don't think that it can be argued in any way that what Bush is doing has anything to do with Franklin Roosevelt. Well, and that's part of the myth about what we're doing in Iraq, um, much as Joe Lieberman is a, entitled to his own opinions, you know, he obviously has to tread a f- kind of a fine line given the fact that he's only the senator from Connecticut these days because he got Democratic votes. If he ran right. as a, quote, Republican, he would have been defeated uh, quite clearly. Um, luckily for him, there were some crossover Democrats that allowed him to win um, in Connecticut. But I think that the, 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 there's a big myth there. I think a couple. <laughs> yeah, more than a, more than a couple. Um, I'm not too sure what he's talking about regarding the fear of force. America has used probably way too much force. Um, at nearly every turn. Nearly at every turn. You know, you can argue that, for instance, even in the Balkans, Clinton was a little was was a reluctant belligerent. He wasn't eager to get terribly involved militarily in the Balkans conflict in the 90s. He had to be kind of dragged into it, and he eventually was. But, of course, Lieberman is an advocate of uh, commencing uh, war with Iran. And uh, this uh, viewpoint, as I suggested a couple of weeks ago, I think this was actually when you left early for the uh, uh, 2001 2001 Space Odyssey movie. I talked a little bit about the Frontline documentary regarding Iran that I thought was fascinating because Frontline had gotten into Tehran and talked to intellectuals and political operatives uh, close to the actual power structure of the Iranian government. And they were all sort of unanimous in pointing out that there would be serious regional problems for America if there was a preemptive strike on Iran's uh, alleged nuclear weapons facilities. Uh, there's still a debate as to whether Iran is even capable at this point, uh, given the nature of this so-called enriched uranium, of actually making a bomb. And, of course, the debate about that will continue. But uh, the American people should not be bamboozled by allegations and claims by Joe Lieberman and a kind of coterie of neoconservatives that are very anxious to uh, expand the war uh, in the Near East and the Middle East. And it strikes me that America's got too much on its plate already. It's obvious that the war in Iraq has had a debilitating effect on um, military recruitment. 
And as much as the American media is jumping up and down for joy about the so, so-called recent successes regarding the surge, uh, it's important to remember that uh, it was Maktada al-Sadr that called for a ceasefire in August uh, recently, a couple of months ago, that have probably reduced some of the Shiite um, terrorist activities in Iraq. And it's quite clear from my perspective that uh, that is based simply on strategy, uh, the strategic withdrawal is a well-known guerrilla tactic. Um, Maktada al-Sadr can read the newspapers. He can monitor the debate here politically in America. The, uh, the Part of the reason there's going to be some withdrawal of American troops in 2008 are certainly connected with the election, the presidential election of 2008. The Republicans uh, will have their, quote, secret plan for withdrawal. Uh, to uh, maybe reduce the Iraq war as an issue in the campaign. Uh, but things in that region are not really going quite as swimmingly as the um, neoconservatives may think. No, and it's unraveling uh, around the edges yeah. very rapidly. And, of course, you know, we just had a report over the weekend that there was, a you know, six or seven more soldiers died in Afghanistan, putting that total over 100 for this year, the highest total uh, for American troops in Afghanistan. So there are n a number of problems regionally, um, and America doesn't get it. Um, th this documentary, what was important about it, I thought, was the, the, you know, the historical perspective that it gave regarding the so-called Shiite revival and how uh, when Saddam Hussein was overthrown by America, there were actually millions of Iranian Shiites that went back to Iraq. There was a flow of refugees into Iraq, and Iran is just one more victim uh, in the region of the refugee problem that America has created by invading Iraq. Uh, Lieberman's strategic foreign policy for America, you know, there's a, there are limits to force, and the United States, you know, does not, at least the, the Democrats that he mentions, Truman... Uh, Kennedy, Kennedy and, Roosevelt. and Roosevelt uh, were not, never eager to use force. I mean, even when you go back and you check the chronology of World War II, um, FDR was was uh, delaying as much as possible America's intervention uh, into World War II. He was more than willing to send Stalin and Churchill aid, but uh, until we were attacked by Japan, we weren't even involved in World War II directly militarily. We were certainly sending supplies and equipment to uh, both the British and the Soviets, and appropriately so. But well, and Kennedy inherited the Bay of Kigs, uh, Pigs and Vietnam. Inherited both of those, and, and FDR also on Eastern Europe had no desire to, quote, go to war with Russia over the disposition of these Eastern European regimes, some of whom, by the way, collaborated with the Nazis. And it's very troubling when you see, for instance, an article about Lithuania, uh, removing uh, information regarding <laughs> Nazi atrocities and only talking about Soviet atrocities, you're beginning to get a, a skewed picture of history. And I'm sure that uh, Lieberman has his own skewed uh, picture of history. I would say that the big difference, by the way, between Truman and FDR and, and Roosevelt was that Truman did not have much international experience, and he had weak advisors in that, re in that area, Very uh, much so. with the exception, really, of Dean Acheson, 
Um, and George Marshall was, was legitimate, but his first Secretary of State, Jimmy Burns, was a real amateur, a real hawk, a real know-nothing kind of sort dude. Sort of a wheeler-dealer kind of a... A guy that was really, when you go back and check the record, was, was interested in higher office. He was actually gunning for the presidency himself. Um, FDR and uh, Kennedy surrounded themselves more with so-called a brain trust. And, of course, the brain trust itself ended up in the Johnson administration and led to a lot of the problems that America experienced in Indochina because they completely misread the situation there. Um, but I don't know what Lieberman is really talking about there. It strikes me that uh, America has too much of a record of force, and uh, that's part of our problem. And In other words, recently there was a study that came out about American economic competitiveness, and what was fascinating to me about the weaknesses of America was they didn't point out the three big weaknesses of America, our reliance on imported oil, our health care uh, situation, why we can't compete econo economically with many of the European countries, the Japanese, for instance, and our overextension uh, globally in terms of the military. We just are simply spending too much money, too much uh, American taxpayer money on wars and occupations and troop stationings. We have troops still in 737 bases. Yeah, and hundreds of countries. And at one time during the Cold War, incidentally, we had troops in 141 countries, literally two-thirds of the globe. Um, so I'm not too sure what Lieberman is talking about there. Pretty vague stuff. Yeah, and if, if anything... And I don't know what the... What, what is the word that's paranoid? Yeah, I was just going to say the hyper-partisan, politically paranoid liberal base... If any, you know, if if the Democratic Party is guilty of any kind of paranoia, it's it's a it's the paranoia of being too liberal. <laughs> In fact, uh, recent surveys of regular Americans have shown that the war is pretty much lost favor across the board, and so uh, the general public is ready for it to be brought to an end. The politicians uh, have to be dragged to that position. Well, it has lost favor, and would lose even more favor if the. Um those bold um, utilizers of force would uh, pony up the money to pay for it. I would suggest that since the Iraq War, and we've already had some more studies in connection with Veterans Day, that uh, future veterans' expenses are going to even exceed the uh, expense of the Iraq War thus far. We're wow. talking about hundreds of billions of dollars here, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Where's the money to pay for this from the uh, people that are advocates of force? Um, they don't want to pay it. And this, of course, this national debt problem, the, I think the debt ceiling just went over $10 trillion, $4 trillion of it under Bush, $2 trillion under Reagan. Uh, this is unsustainable and uh, is at, at the heart of some of America's uh, economic uh, malaise and one of the reasons why there's this increasing uh, anxiety amongst the American public about the future of the economy. Yes, you know, the, the, the numbers show that by a two-to-one margin, people think we're about to enter a recession. We may indeed have one of these so-called growth recessions uh, where there's uh, on paper economic growth because of uh, multinational corporations exporting stuff around the globe, but uh, no no real job growth here at home. But this, this housing crisis is serious. Um, 
the number that I've heard, by the way, on this is there's about a trillion dollars of phony debt there that's on the books that has yet to really make its way through the system. And we've only seen several of these big American financial institutions write off the money. GM, by the way, just last week wrote off a $39 billion of a tax credit that they thought they were getting mm -hmm. that's now being reported as a loss. That's a staggering sum of money. Um, we need to work on the real problems here at home and not concoct uh, goofy theories about um, the Democratic Party that, of course, is all over the board on foreign policy. There is no single voice in the Democratic Party. Uh, even amidst the presidential candidates, there are different uh, strategies for getting out of Iraq versus staying versus uh, what are we going to do about Iran and Hillary's vote and all that stuff. Um, but war with Iran at this point would be a complete folly. Uh, a disaster on top of a catastrophe. Um, as we near the uh, waning moments of the program, a couple of dates to keep in mind here coming up right really on the horizon. <clears throat> November 15th, will General Musharraf shed the uniform? You this, can stay in office, but take off the uniform. Now, this does not mean that he'll be naked in office. I would assume he'll merely don civilian clothes. Uh, naked dictators probably not going to foster much support from any quarter. But uh, Benazir Bhutto, who is basically still under uh, something of a house arrest, <clears throat> has been making this call for a while. And uh, will it occur? Well, we'll see if Musharraf wants to improve his chances. He probably will. It's just a simple change of clothing, right? Uh, the elections there have been pushed back to mid-February. Um, another interesting date to watch out for is November 21st, because the 2,500 European Union troops stationed in Bosnia, their term will be over. And there's increasing concern about... Uh, Balkanization within Balkanization. Mm -hmm. Of course, Yugoslavia broke up into its uh, separate mini-states or republics, but uh, this from uh, financial news of a few days ago, November 9th, um, among the greatest risks is that Kosovo's ethnic Albanian majority will declare unilateral independence next month from Serbia, prompting Bosnian Serbs to hold a referendum on independence for their half of Bosnia, known as the Serb Republic. The real concern here, according to Tony Barber's article, <clears throat> is that as much as 30,000 tons of surplus weaponry and ammunition is lying in virtually unguarded storage sites in a country whose population numbers just 4 million, where hundreds of thousands of individuals privately own weapons. It could get ugly again in the Balkans, and of course that's just west of Turkey, and so this kind of, the domino effect working in reverse here of uh, Bush's disaster spreading through this rippling sensation outwards um, throughout the entire region, west and east. Well, I'm sure Bush is doing a lot of praying about uh, the situation in Pakistan. Well, I close on this brief item, because we are out of time down here on Gray Matters. This from the Reuters, uh, 10th of May, 2005. It says, a prison siege at Risden Prison in Hobart, Australia, ended after a group of 20 inmates demanding better treatment and improvements to the jail agreed to release a guard they'd held for two days in return for the delivery of 15 pizzas. 
Arms for hostages. <laughs> That's not much to ask. Pizzas for guards. And we'll get to the cow and the minivan next week. Stay tuned. Yazoo City Calling is coming up next right here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Thanks to Yelchin for engineering.